This is a GRDC podcast. After one challenge was overcome when innovative thinking and some heavy-duty machinery provided the how-to needed to break up cemented lateritic gravel soils, grain growers then had to consider what nutrient management would be needed to make these renovated soils more suitable for crop production. Hello, I'm Tony Crowley. In Western Australia's southwest agricultural zone, there are 3 million hectares of lateritic gravels or ironstone gravel soils. These are sandy soils that have a cemented laterite surface or cap rock. Many growers are using contractors with specialised machinery that rips and pulverises this top layer, making sowing easier and improving the likelihood of good crop establishment. What's also needed for developing crops is good nutrition, and lateritic soils bind up phosphorus, an essential nutrient for plant growth. So with GRDC investment, on-farm trials are underway to test for nutrient levels in these soils and develop nutrient packages for crop management. One of the trials is located near Harrismith, 300 kilometres southeast of Perth, and it's where Anvil Media's Deborah Bishop caught up with trial facilitator Ben Wisson from Consult Ag and the grower hosting the trial, Rowan Astbury. So I'm farm at Harrismith, which is halfway between Lake Grace and Narragin in the upper grade southern, as we call it, in the area. Topography is breakaway country with laterite topsoils in the top of the catchment and then obviously flow down to clays and duplex soils in the valley floor. Probably quite a percent of the farm is lateritic cap rock and gravel topsoils. You had to manage it, you couldn't farm it, it was impenetrable kind of soil, but um, a lot of inputs and not much reward for effort. Okay, well we'll come back shortly to the advances that you've made on that property, but Ben, from Consult Ag, you're facilitating a trial on Rowan's property here. Just take us through the reason for the trial. Well, the reason for the trial was that a lot of people, particularly in our area, are going through this renovation phase on their gravel type soils and it's quite an expensive process and there's been a big uptake of it. We wanted to know what do we need to do from nutrition wise to get the best out of these gravels. What's the quickest way we can get our return on investment so we can start recouping some of the costs and turning it into a profitable exercise. What is it though about these ironstone gravels that makes nutrient management so important? Well they're notoriously high in their phosphorus buffering index which means they really hold on to the P that you apply really tightly. So there's always been a thought that these soils being really high fixing, we would need to apply lots of P to make sure we can get the crop to realise its yield potential. But they've also been quite low producing in the past as well because of poor seed soil contact and they're hard to seed and you often get blowouts of ryegrass and radish on these gravels. So it was really a, this is what we think is happening, but we really need to test it to try and get the most out of it. Yeah, because uh, Rowan, you were saying earlier that as a grower, before using the heavy duty machinery to break up the surface of these gravels, you were pretty heavy on those fertilisers, weren't you, in, in decades before. That was a way to get crops established on this kind of country, wasn't it? Oh, yes. And I think back then there was no changing of thought about soil type. It was a blanket coverage. So the soil that produced, you'd put the same amount of P or, or N or any other nutrients on there as you did the rest of the paddock because it's just the way farmers farm. They just had no ability to know if it was needed to be different, so they just went out and put it out. And it was cheaper. Cost of inputs are more expensive today, so you want to make sure that when you're putting on certain soils, you're, you're doing it 
to what the soil needs, not just, oh, well, that's what my dad did, so I think I'll do the same. So, And gross margins are tighter, so when it comes down to future of farming, it's all about the gross margins, so you want to make sure you're every buck you spend, you're getting the right return on. So, yeah, I think that's where the change of philosophies come with this kind of soil and, and actually getting an output from soil that you have on your own property, not looking next door and going, I've got to <laughs> buy next door's property with everyone else looking, which is um, obviously land prices are going through the roof. So farm what you've got and do it better. I guess in those early days, we were really at a building phase as well. So the guys that were building, putting the super out and really building up the nutrition in the soil, they had a really long-term view, but plus they were starting from a pretty low nutrition base, whereas now a lot of our soils are a lot more pea-sufficient. So we don't want to be putting more on than what we need to because the soils have generally got a fair bit in them. We really only want to be applying what they need from a return on investment perspective rather than building up the pea bank, which is already quite sufficient already. So on that basis, Rowan, how have you managed your fertiliser program? What, you know, what are you applying at what rates? So we're quite conservative with our rates. We don't try to push too many boundaries with yield. We are in an area where we do have limitations with frost risk and obviously finishing the season off with drier finishes. So we do try to stay conservative. So we're not very high, but we're sort of the 85 to 90 of a typical K compound fertiliser. So you're around the 8 to 9 units of P, 9 of K and and about nine to 10, so a bit of sulphur. So I feel with our soil test, we're not full-time cropping. We've still got a pasture phase, so our soils have still got a decent base range of nutrients. We're not taking too much out and we're not in a hay production, so we're not robbing too much K, but we do know that we need to keep those nutrition levels up or production will suffer, so um, yeah. Ben, uh, Rowan's just mentioned about soil testing. What soil testing has been done for this trial? So in our project, we had to soil test 15 different sites and we took that from a range of different areas. We would have covered probably at least 200 kilometres east to west so the 15 sites were tested over a number of areas so that we could get a good snapshot of the area where most of this soil renovation is happening. We took a 0 to 10 centimetre layer and also a 10 to 30 centimetre layer. We went down basically as far as we could go and for most of the gravels 30 centimetres was about as far down as we could go. And we didn't sort of feel like we needed to mix them up any more than that because I guess in the renovating process, the soil is pretty well mixed around and homogenised. So that probably gives you a pretty good indication of what is in there. And then we also looked at the gravel percentage of the soils, So that gives you a better idea of how much soil is actually there to play with because for some of these gravels, a lot of it is actually rock and, and relatively inert. It doesn't have a, a water or nutrient holding capacity to it. So after our extensive soil testing process, we grabbed those samples and we ran them through one of the fertiliser company's nutrient models to give us an indication of what the most economic rate of P would be. And from that gave us our standard P rate. And then we also halved that rate as another treatment and we also doubled it so that we could try and really ground truth how accurate the models are at forecasting on these sort of soil types because a lot of people haven't sampled them that much in the past because they're so hard to sample, as I mentioned earlier. So they gave us our treatments and our trial was run with farmer scale equipment, so full-size gear, and that provided a bit of a challenge in itself, trying to find a site that was relatively even, I guess, over that kind of an area because these gravel reefs are notoriously irregular and uneven, so that proved a bit of a problem. But it was good to do it on farmer scale demo as well because I think it does give it a bit more relevance to what we actually see in the paddock. So, Rowan, you, you've sown barley on the treated area. We've been out there today and it's looking well, pretty green out there for you. Uh, what have you observed about its establishment compared to barley crops on untreated paddocks? Oh, well, complete chalk and cheese. Easiest way to say. You'd, um, 
You don't get any establishment, mostly on that gravel, that already cut rock, hard on equipment, hard on operator, because you can't just set the bar in and, and let it seed. But no, it's amazing establishment. I was really impressed to see the lower rates, Ben, mm -hmm. with um, phosphate. I was hoping that with our regime of phosphate previous to when my father used to farm, with blanket applications of phosphate across this country, I was hoping to see this benefit of reduced phosphate on this country. And obviously you do through trial results from last year see that maybe the extra doesn't show a lot of potential, especially through a gross margin, but I'd love to see that reducing a few inputs might be able to benefit the bottom line because fertiliser is only getting dear. So it'd be nice to see that we could tap into that unused reserve of phosphate under the soil there that hasn't been able to be used. So. Yeah. yeah, I think at your site here at Harrismith, there wasn't a lot of difference where you cut back to some of the lower P rates. At some of our other sites, rather than going to half, we actually removed it completely. And that really showed up the difference was where you don't put any P on at all. You can certainly see in crop vigour and biomass and general health. They certainly suffered, but cutting back didn't seem to affect it as we saw at your trial. But it's I guess from then on, it's just whether you're wanting to just replace what you're removing or what your mentality is for looking forward as well. What is the trials data telling us about soil testing and fertiliser rates, Ben? The soil tests are generally showing really quite healthy P levels. In general, we don't have to apply anything extra over and above what you would need to over the rest of the paddock. So that's a really good thing. We thought we might have to be topping up these areas or they might be particularly hungry because they are such high phosphate fixing soils. But I think what Rowan talked about earlier was that these soils have had all this P applied over many years and as the rest of the paddock gets, but it just hasn't been removing it. So there has been this build up and so some of these sites are saturated with P and, and so we're not needing anything over and above what the rest of the paddock needs, which I think is a really good result that we can just start to treat them like a normal bit of the paddock, whereas in the past they were seeded around or you just didn't expect much return off them. What's it telling you about nutrition packages? What's it telling us is just continue on with the status quo at this stage. In your potential areas of under three tonne, you don't need to do anything special with them over and above what you're doing with the rest of the paddock. I still think it's a good idea to test, to include them in your soil test so that you know for sure and you know what your starting base is. But generally, the requirements over the rest of the farm or over the rest of the paddock should be sufficient. Rowan, you mentioned about your dad before. What's his take on what you're achieving out there now with the approach that you're taking? He's always been quite conservative in new technology and obviously it's only something new that's been around and he's really impressed. Obviously he's farmed the country since he left school in the late 60s and he's only been able to do what he's been able to do with it for the time he's had it. Obviously there's nothing been out there to be able to convert it to usable farming country. So I was even impressed when he would tell me in the morning he's jumping on the tractor to convert the soil, <laughs> which is you know, uh, nearly 70 uh, in a week or two. So, he's, um, yeah, I take my hat off to him whenever I have an idea and he says yes to it, but definitely so much more when he gets a reward out of seeing hard work and country that was cleared and never had much potential now showing its true potential. So. And your participation in this trial, especially given it's your paddock and your environment, how useful has it been? And you know, how, what do you say to other growers about participation in trials like this? Well, I'm always one to be a little bit shy on trials because I feel time can be a little bit precious. But it's been a breeze. It's been a trial that has been run with our own equipment. It's just been a day out that we have to just have a bit of help just to know what we've got to do and do it right. And obviously the results are perfect. It's going to be what our farm does, not industry standard or local area, different yield results. It's specific to our production and our farm. So, no, really valuable.
Is there anything there that you would like to offer to other growers in regard to the approach being taken through the trial that they might like to consider? As you say, every site is different, but is there something, a takeaway here for other growers, do you feel, in regard to the approaches that you've been adopting? Well, I think just any opportunity you take, take it. Even with new technology, there's always a cost. There's always a risk involved, but I feel that you get an opportunity, you've got to take it. And it's rewarding because you get to um, be part of it. So. And the approach, though, it's not cheap. I mean, it comes at a cost, doesn't it? Do you feel the investment is showing the results you need? Yes, and while price of land increases, it shows it even more because you've got your own dirt that's in your own area and you're converting soil that is in one paddock that probably limits the ability of that paddock to be farmed the way it should be. So obviously any machines has a, an investment outlay that you need to justify. And this, I think for most of it's probably paid off already and we've only had it three years and it's an effort, but it's a rewarding effort. You hopefully only have to do it once, maybe come back, but yeah, it's your own soil. So it's not your neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, this trial, a little bit uh, of a way to go yet. What's next in line for it? We're doing a repeat as a second year this year. Last year, in all of the five sites that we had, they were generally quite a way below their growing season rainfall. So in a drier year where we had potentially a bit more yield limited by lack of moisture, we didn't see a lot of difference in yield, as we've mentioned. This year so far, obviously it's been a lot wetter and we've had a lot of rain overnight. So I'm quite excited to see what the difference will be this year where water should be a lot less limiting and we may be able to tease out some bigger differences between some of the phosphorus treatments. But that's the beauty of running them over a couple of years. A single year trial will give you some great data, but it may be a little bit more specific to a specific year. Whereas now we've been able to run it for a couple of years. And so we know if we get the same result again this year that we can be pretty confident in both a drier and a wetter and potentially higher yielding year that we can get the same result and that gives us a lot of confidence. Okay, and what about the project's final outcomes? How are you going to make those available to the communities? Well, we've had a number of grower groups and things go through our trial sites to look at them already. That was so people could see the results and, and actually see, I guess there's nothing like viewing the trial with your own eyes. Plus we then have spoken at a number of, again, grower updates and things over the summer period to give it our results and let them know what we've been finding. We had two of the people involved in our project spoke at the crop updates or the research updates in Perth back in February and we'd be hoping to do something again in the coming year. Yeah, hopefully we can get a really good spread fairly quickly because it is good information that I think will save farmers in the long term. Ben Wisson from Consult Ag and Rowan Asprey who farms near Harrismith. Asking the questions was Deb Bishop. Ben mentioned there has been some reporting of earlier research at GRDC update sessions, and if you'd like more information, you'll find links to those update papers in this podcast's show notes. This has been a GRDC podcast. I'm Tony Crowley. Thanks for listening. Listener.